This week on Missions Today. There's opportunities for us to reach and connect people in digital space in incredible ways, a different type of person. And rather than fighting whether or not you can really do church in that area, if we actually looked at it as a mission field, we would see a revival happen because there are people that are ripe for having conversations in digital space with being relational digital. The digital space. For some of us, it's a vast arena about which we have little knowledge. For others of us, it is a world we feel totally comfortable in, having grown up as digital natives. I am Colin Lambert, and this is Missions Today from Resource Global. Our guest today happens to be one of those who is very comfortable in the digital realm. He hosted his first online Bible study way back in the year 2000, before most of us were even aware of what all was really out there. Jeff Reed is the founder of The Church Digital, and after spending years inside the church trying to help them catch the vision for what's possible online, he's now created his own company that works with individuals and churches ready to take that leap into digital missions. He believes it's time the church moved from simple addition to multiplication through discipleship. As you listen today, think about where your church is right now and think about the possibilities that online discipleship might just open up. We have a lot of ground to cover today, so let's get to it. Jeff, welcome to Missions Today. Hey, thanks, Colin. It is great to be here. Let's start a bit with your story. Tell me a little bit about your growing up years. Grew up in Miami, Florida, and I actually, I, I live in Miami now. I live about three miles away from the house I grew up in. My wife and I were high school sweethearts in, in Miami, and we're actually probably third or fourth generation Miami people. And that's super rare. I'm 44, so like high school for me was in the 90s, college was in the 90s, and, and just like had this passion to help churches understand technology. I read this magazine article talking about the word multimedia in the early 90s and just knew in my heart that God had something for the church in it. What the ir irony of this is that God didn't tell the church that, God told me that. And so I went for a number of decades trying to convince the church to utilize technology for the kingdom. Uh, probably the first online Bible study I ever taught was in the year 2000. Had about 75 people around the planet going through the book of James. I, I started an online community called ebeliever.com coming off of the dot-com boom in, in the year 2000. Really graduated from college 99, tried to find a church to like buy into this idea of digital technology. And I was maybe 20 years, a little early, even Life Church really didn't start doing online ministry until 2006 or seven. And, and so kind of just few and far between options started Ran three or four businesses in my life, worked for uh, three or four churches in different roles, kind of been a, a constant traveler, but one that's just super passionate about the idea of discipleship, utilizing digital tools, digital churches, and, and things of the like. And so maybe pre-COVID, I was nuts. Thank you very much, COVID. It validated everything that I had said. My friends called me Noah at that point, basically, because I had been telling people, for years to get on the boat, they were ignoring me. And when the storms came, I was working about 20 hours a day, trying to help as many churches as possible to get out of the water, so to speak. Well, but before we get into the specifics of uh, all of the digital side, uh, talk for a moment about how you came to faith in Christ. You talked about having this passion to kind of combine multimedia with church activity. What got you to that point? How did you find Christ? And, and was that passion for multimedia uh, almost immediate? I was one of these kids that was part of the children's ministry growing up. 
you know, in, in the 80s and 90s, uh, accepted Christ early on in age. And so anytime I'm in a church where there's children's ministry, like love on those volunteers, because sometimes they get disconnected, disenfranchised and want to reconstruct their faith. Sometimes they, they make it through and they're going on to do great things for, for the kingdom. And I was one of those that was just the, the win of the, of the church. But really, like my calling is, is, is a more interesting story. And Colin, I want to thank you. I, I have not been asked this question very often. So I'm adopted. Never knew my birth mother, birth parents. Long story short, my birth mother walked into a what she thought was an abortion clinic to get aborted. And it ended up being a pro-life center. This is 1977. Ended up being a pro-life center. One of the few that were around in the 70s, by the way. There weren't a lot of them. And, and as a result of that mistake and her reading an ad that she interpreted one way that should have been another, I, I'm alive today. Knowing that. And there, the stories even beyond that, uh, I, I could go for a whole episode telling it to you. So I'm, I'm giving you the short version. But when that became known to me, my parents didn't tell me. It was actually the lawyer who negotiated the, the adoption is the person who said to me, because we had ended up having a mutual friends years later without even realizing it. And when, when the lawyer's like, do you know who you are? Oh, yeah, I'm Jeff. I'm like, no, no, no. Do you know the story? And he started unraveling some of the stuff. I, I just, I, as, as a young kid, I just said, God, thank you. God, my life is yours. What do you want? How, how can I serve you? Because the life that I have, I should, I did not, A, I didn't deserve it. Sin, B, I, there's a really good chance I wasn't supposed to have it. Like so many things worked in my favor for me to go through all the drama before I was even born to the point of now, man, here's an opportunity for me to do ministry. Here's an opportunity for me to champion an idea about digital for, for people that need to hear so that we can reach a different type of person than what our buildings are, are reaching. God, thank you. Thank you for blessing me and giving me an opportunity and a purpose for that. Now, that has grown evolved over the 40 years of my life. When I, was, uh, when I first started this ministry, God, tell me where you want me to go. Give me clarity. Give me purpose. Tell me the finish line. And, and my finish line, what I envisioned my finish line when I was 22 years old compared now to where I am in 44, I was so small-minded at 22, short-sighted. I had no idea of the blessings that God can bring and the opportunity that his favor allows. And so if you're out there, if you're out there and you're, you're one of these guys and I'm trying to figure out what, what my life looks like, stop. Don't figure it out. It is much more fun to not know that answer. And to give God the freedom to run and to create things on his will instead of trying to make you happy. I just want to thank you for sharing the story about the Pro-Life Center, because uh, I've worked with Pro-Life Centers. To me, it's a passion, has been my whole life uh, for different reasons. But I just thank you for sharing that story because of the work of these pro-life centers often goes unknown, and then the blessing of your life continuing has obviously impacted others for now and for eternity as well. So thank you for sharing that. I want to kind of go back to that time around 2000. You said you started this online Bible study. I think most of us just have this mindset of church online being streaming our services. At what point did you feel like there was more to church online, to Christianity online, to the opportunities online beyond just streaming a church service or a Bible study? Where it turned the corner for me, I was a digital pastor at, at a church here in Miami, Florida in, in the year 
2015 to 2018, somewhere around there. And we were broadcasting services online. It was a, it was a mega giga multi-site church. We had thousands of people in physical buildings. We had multi-site campuses. We had thousands of people watching online. 51% of our audience was outside of the state of Florida. So we were getting a U.S. reach. We had a lot of connections in Latin and South America, so borderline international in some areas. And it was interesting. At the same time as we were having success with some of these vanity metrics around how many people are actually viewing this thing, started also really having some conversations about what movements look like, starting to talk with like the global missions director and, and, and the, the small groups guy, starting to utilize words like movement, starting to explore really disciple making and, and what it looks like. And, and, and I started asking myself the question, is the stuff that we're doing, we're broadcasting, is it really effective in making disciples, in completing that great commission? And, and the more that I really got into asking that question, the more upset the church got with me for asking those questions and questioning the strategies that, that really were in place. And, and so in, literally in this process, I had 30-some employees that I was responsible for in leading it in this season. But God started instilling me in this desire of, hey, is what you're doing really effective for the kingdom purposes? Are you seeing multiplication happen as a result of it? And the more that I really started to ask those questions, the more that I realized the answer was no. And, and that there needed to be, now listen, it, is God glorified in those environments? Yes. And I don't want to come across so hard as to say it's we're doing damage for the kingdom. But I think that if instead of creating a, that addition strategy, if instead we focused more on a multiplication strategy, uh, the life would look entirely different. I was 40 years old, having been in ministry for decades before someone taught me how to effectively and easily share my faith, how to take the time to invest into someone else. Nobody, I had somebody grab me by the hand and say, come on, we're going to the mall, we're going to go witness the people. And I'm like, just cold? Wait, no. As I'm walking through the parking lot, I'm trying to figure out how to bail out. What excuse can I give to get me out of this awkward situation? And in a hostile environment to the gospel like Miami, walking around this mall four or five years ago, I had three conversations. All three people broke down in tears. God moved in a, in a mega way as a result of what was happening. One person accepted Christ. One person got reconnected into a, into a church as a result. Powerful, powerful stuff. But it wasn't as a result of a show or a production or smoke screens or haze machines or moving lights or an awesome camera shot. It, it was about somebody being relational, about somebody being transparent, about about having a conversation at a one-on-one -on -one level. And, and, and really, the more that I started questioning the broadcast and the more that I started getting exposed into this different mindset, the more that I realized that the average church in America, the digital strategy is backwards. We're trying to get people into a broadcast as big as possible. But realize, and this is the dirty secret of, of digital church and, and church online, church online the way that you described it, sir. We can get as many people as possible, but we don't know who they are. I had a church Easter 2020 down here in South Florida. Hey, Jeff, you're not going to believe this. We had half a million people, 500,000 viewers of our Easter service. Isn't that awesome? Half a million people got exposed to our church on Easter. Hey, listen, friend, I'm, I'm happy for you. Hey, tell me. How many connection cards did you get with like names of people to follow up on for ongoing ministry? How many chats did you have in the in the chat room? How many new people did you meet out of these half a million viewers? There's got to be a ton, right? 
His answer was 11. Half a million viewers, only 11 people to have a tangible conversation to maybe get them connected into a disciple-making relationship. The model doesn't work. It may work in physical space because of the strength of physical, but that digital model doesn't work. And so we've started working through my time with Stadia and Digital Church Network and Church Digital, really championing the idea of a different mindset, a different framework to help churches better understand how to utilize the strength of digital. Because really, digital is very relational, but the average person doesn't see it that way. And so it really just comes down to this potential for us as the church to look at digital as an opportunity to reach a different type of person than what the physical buildings can reach. Are you, as part of this movement, are you recommending, are you pushing forward toward fully online churches? Are you talking about churches living in the virtual space? Is that kind of your goal or is there more to it than that? What I would say is that I think that the pendulum is shifting. The truth is, is that there are uh, maybe 50 really solid digital only churches in America today. And there's couple hundred more as a result of COVID that are starting up. And so, yeah, I work with them. I have those conversations. If that's troubling for you, there's still opportunities for physical churches to understand how to do digital ministry better. So often it feels like lately people die on this, die on the, on the battlefield of digital e- ecclesiology. Can we really have an ecclesiologically stable digital church? I say yes. A lot of people say no. As public record, you know, you can, I've been yelled at by some of the best on that topic. Listen, I'm not going to die on that hill. What we really need to focus on, in my opinion, is the opportunities of the digital and the meta mission field. Hey, there's opportunities for us to reach and connect people in digital space in incredible ways, a different type of person. And rather than fighting whether or not you can really do church in that area, if we actually looked at it as a mission field, we would see a revival happen because there are people that are ripe for having conversations in digital space with being relational digital. The challenge is, is that we, the church, are afraid to go there because we don't want to even acknowledge the possibility that digital churches can exist and function in digital space, that discipleship is possible digitally. It sounds to me like you're saying it's a both and, not an either or, that churches that exist in a building should and could have opportunities to do a lot more in the digital space, and those who don't necessarily have a physical address could actually do something totally uh, in the metaverse online and continue to build disciples. And I think that's something probably that we all ought to look at honestly and probably going to be some debate along the way. But the the ability to do both, I think, is so key. And, and one of the things you're doing is teaching churches how to engage more deeply uh, digitally. In fact, I've heard that you have uh, supported the idea of like a digital pastor at churches today. Talk for a moment about how a church with a physical location might benefit from a digital pastor. There's several different approaches you can have. The approach, and this was pre-COVID, this is what a lot of people were doing. Hey, we're going to have an online campus. This is anybody, we're going to broadcast the services online. It's like we're throwing seed. Some of it's going to fall on on the road, the path, the trodden. Some of it's going to fall on the thorn. Some of it's going to fall on soft soil. Online campus pastor, you're responsible for shepherding those that that the seeds fall on on the soft, fertile soil. Great. Awesome. Pre-COVID, that worked. COVID, as a result, it went from like, you know, a very small amount of people 
in that digital space to everybody being in that digital space. And so a lot of churches in that COVID season pivoted to this idea of a digital pastor who was really utilizing all the digital channels, the social media to be pastoral, to shepherd, to care for, uh, to disciple, utilizing whatever digital channel they, they had. If the church had a Facebook, a YouTube, a Instagram, a Twitter, a TikTok, you know, just utilizing every digital tool possible while also doing research and development on new technologies to try to get the church out there, metaverse, things like that. What What's interesting is now where we're in borderline post-COVID, wherever you think we are in that conversation, what we're actually moving to and what I'm seeing a lot of churches move to is this idea of a digital champion where you don't have one person that's responsible for digital. Everybody's responsible for their little piece of digital. Kids ministry, what's your digital strategy going to be? Go to the digital champion. Now, in the, in, in the digital pastor, the digital pastor is usually executing and doing all the work. But the truth is, in this new post-COVID society, there's so much work to do in the digital space. Yeah, you, you don't need one person to be the bottleneck. You need everybody to own a little piece of that. Kids, students, worship, small groups, whatever it looks like, be digitally savvy into that conversation. Care about what's going on. Understand that those people that you're you're engaging with are real people. Understand those lives that are happening in digital space. Now, it's so easy to think physical first and to forget about digital. It's hugely important to have a champion to make everybody remember digital, but also to remind them and to empower them. Hey, did you follow up on that person? Tell me about that story. And, and all of a sudden now, rather than having an individual who becomes a bottleneck, you have a staff, a culture of digital where there's understanding beyond just that one person who's the bottleneck. That I really feel like is the future of where we're going with a lot of staffing and context of digital. And, and if I'm understanding what I'm hearing you say correctly is that it's got to go beyond whatever a church is doing digitally. It really needs to move beyond just putting out a church service. It needs to have some way to create interactivity, to create opportunities for discipleship. If all your church is doing is broadcasting your church services online, to be honest, I, I, I would ask questions like, why? Are, are you seeing, because churches that are usually broadcasting only, that are not being relational, that are not doing small groups, that are not doing discipleship digitally, they're, they're not getting a lot of money. Uh, they're not seeing a lot of tithe come in. Because the people they're broadcasting to don't understand these principles. They're not connected enough to a church. So, you know, and okay, well, maybe we're broadcasting services online to make it easy for the people that, that aren't, aren't engaging. Uh, they can't make it to the physical building. They can't be there. They're traveling, whatever. It's a more of a convenience to broadcast it online. Okay. But these are also the same churches that often get upset because the physical service is being devalued because people are watching it online. And, and so what's what's funny is I'm a digital guy, and in this mid post COVID environment, I've I've actually told churches publicly, maybe you shouldn't broadcast. If you're so excited about what happens in the physical space and you see no purpose for digital, don't do it. Now there's there's things you're gonna miss. There's the front door people visiting your service for the first time before they come to the physical building. There are other reasons to do it. But if you're not really discipling people, then what you're doing in that digital space 
almost becomes a distraction pulling people away from really the discipleship things that you think are happening in your physical building. And, and so I'm, I'm much more interested. I was just was talking with a digital planter today about some of the things we're working on and, and, and really for, to look at doing digital ministry well. If you want to be effective in doing the Great Commission in digital space, you have to be comfortable with the idea of digital discipleship. Now, you can define discipleship however you want. If you think it's in groups, if you think it's an assimilation, if you think it's uh, you know one-on-one conversations, multiplication approach, I, I can have that conversation later. But the heart of it is, is you've got to move to doing that in digital to be effective in doing anything digitally. And so it's this idea of engaging and discipling and if we can, if we, the church, can figure out how to do that in digital space, if we can look at the internet not as a giant building for consumeristic services, but instead a distribution network, a digital distribution network for the gospel, my gosh, there's so much that the kingdom of God can see in this lifetime. But we need to understand how to utilize this and not be afraid of it. What might be the first step or two that they should take if they've already got the service online, people are already watching that. What, what's the what's the next step? What do you do next? What are the first steps of creating some kind of digital presence that's beyond just broadcasting your service? If you're a church that, that's struggling with this, disciple your people to the point where you trust them spiritually and then release them on their mission. Figure out how to support them, but the win is getting them on mission the win is not getting them to invite people into your building. Buildings are a lid, it, it, truly. And, and so, well, we can just build a bigger building. The goal is to, to get more. The goal is to get more services. The goal is more, more, more. But the, at some point, there's always a lid. Trust me, I know. I, I have seen that lid in, in real time. And so it's not about addition. It's about multiplication. So as a church, Disciple people to the place where you trust them and release them and help them on their journey. As individuals, ask your church to disciple you so that you can go on this journey. I, I have a friend, I was discovered in a podcast, a 250-person church, and it's called Cornerstone Church. It's up in Yuba City. It's uh, California. And I just did a podcast. Uh, lead pastor's name is Jason Pauling. And, and they have a discipleship process like this where they discipled an individual, uh, and then they released him. And the dude's mission field is the metaverse. It's actually a, a platform that's called VR Chat. Now, audience, you probably don't understand that. It's cool. What you need to understand is that VR Chat is the cesspool of the metaverse. Basically, the dude is going into the red light district of the metaverse. And this is where this person is being called to, to go be the light of Jesus. So first off, we need to celebrate when this happens. Secondly, we need to make sure that the people we're sending into environments like these are, are spiritually protected. They're girded up. They're wearing the, the armor of God. They're covered in prayer. If you're going to send somebody, I don't know, like, I, well, I live in Miami. I'll, I'll, I'll pick on my own city. If we're going to send somebody to South Beach, like, hey, man, listen, you're, you're going you're gonna to go be a missionary in South Beach? Let me pray for you. How can I help you? Let me, let me constantly give support. It's a big deal doing something in the metaverse, doing something digitally, releasing people to the point of doing things like this, this is where we see multiplication come in. And as a church, our answer should not be, no, 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 service is more serve us. Come be guest services, serve our coffee. Our, our answer should be, 
How do we release these people so that they can do God-sized things, kingdom-sized things, and that God can actually like move? So we're just starting a digital church network where we're literally helping bivocovo, bivocational, covocational people who have full-time jobs that don't involve a church. We're helping them start churches. We're helping them find their personal mission and, and releasing them to their purpose. If you're praying and if you're seeking God, God leads, you follow. And he is a much better provider than anything you can do on your own. God, our provider and our guide. Just think about Jeff's story for a moment. His mother went in to have an abortion when she was pregnant with him. A faithful pro-life center encouraged her to keep her baby. And when Jeff learned about this story later, he committed himself to the Lord. He said yes to whatever the Lord had for him. And now, He's impacting hundreds, if not thousands of individuals and churches as he guides them through the process of developing online discipleship efforts. That's not just addition, that's multiplication God's way. What God can do with a life that is committed to Him, to His plan. But have you ever felt you weren't good enough, you weren't worthy to carry out God's plan? If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, He is your righteousness, He is worthy, and He has a plan for you. It's time to lay the past aside and say yes. Put away those things that have hindered you. Say yes to what God is asking you to do today. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we're gonna talk with a man who was raised in Vietnam, relocated to Canada, and became the leader of a worldwide organization helping the persecuted and distributing God's word. If you've enjoyed the show today, I'd love it if you could subscribe, rate it, and leave a review on iTunes. If you have feedback for me, I'd love to hear from you. Email me, clambert at missionstoday.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Missions Today Radio. Missions Today is a production of Resource Global.